You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. All right, let me try this. You ready? Good morning, church. How are we? Good. Awesome. Amen. Uh, If you will, get your Bibles and uh, let's turn to Psalm chapter 46 uh, together. Um, We're also going to take a look at 2 Kings chapter 19, and so we'll be there first. So if you want to go to Psalms 46, put that ribbon in your Bible there, and then head to 2 Kings 19, um, that's going to where we're going to start this morning. Uh, For those that may need an introduction, my name is Josh Kinsley. I uh, have the privilege and honor of serving as the high school pastor uh, in our next-gen ministries, uh, so I get to uh, work with ninth through 12th graders, um, excited for Austin, uh, just getting to see him uh, take that step of faith and follow Jesus and believers baptism this morning as he heads off to college. It just makes my heart happy. Um, and I'm just thankful for the grace and the gift that God has placed on my life, the calling that he has placed on my life to be here in this season of time and to work with our awesome high school students. So I just praise God for that. Um, Before we get to our text this morning, it has been a great summer in our different ministries here at Broadmoor. And I would just like to take a second and highlight some of the things that have happened in our Next Gen uh, community outreach or sports ministries and our missions ministries. All right, so let's start with Next Gen. Uh, In early June, We had what we would call Wow Week, which is our vacation Bible school. Uh, We had close to 1,500 kids attend Wow Week in the morning of that week. And then at night, for our Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night of that week, we had 130 participants in our Grace Grace Ministry Wow Week, participants and volunteers uh, for that night. Uh, Our kids raised over $18,000 for missions. And yeah, absolutely. So far, we've had one baptism come out of that week, and the most important number, 23 professions of faith during Wow Week. During our, yes, let's give you a hand. Um, during our collective next gen camps over the summer, this would be our high school retreats, our middle school camp. Um, our kids' camp, our preschool day trips. We had 283 participants in those. Through those camps, 10 people professed faith in Jesus, 10 kids, and then four following in believers' baptism so far. Then this week, we had six weeks of what we call sports camps. Uh, These are day camps that kids would come to during the day, go home at night. We had 302 kids participate in those camps, and 47 of those had no church affiliation. And so what a great opportunity for us to be able to minister to the people of Madison County. And Roland wanted to make sure we knew that many faith conversations have been had with those kids and with those parents. And then for our mission opportunities this summer, just this summer, we have sent people on eight short-term mission trips. We've been to Brazil, Guatemala, Puerto Rico, Quebec, Kenya, Victoria, British Columbia, England, and coming up, Tanzania. And this church is sending 56 people to carry the gospel to the nations. 
Church family, can we praise God for what he is doing through this faith family? And listen, we know many of you have given up your time, your vacation days, your resources to help make summer at Broadmoor happen. When we talk about serving intentionally and living generously as two of our values and outcomes, these things that we have mentioned are a great example of what that looks like. So for all of you that were involved in any of those happenings, thank you so much. Thank you for being a united family of faith joining Jesus on his mission for the glory of God and the good of our communities. So, as our summer comes to a close, it means that next week is what we call Move Up Sunday at Broadmoor. This is uh, specifically for our next-gen ministries. Basically, Move Up Sunday means that if your child is in the second grade, then next week they're going to move to their third grade class. It's sure to be a fantastic morning throughout our next-gen ministries. That would be our preschool, children, middle school, high school. Uh, We also have four new adult life groups beginning next Sunday. Uh, These groups will meet at 1045 each Sunday morning. And we are excited that God continues to trust us with the discipleship and of the people in our community to the point where we are having to create new groups for those people. We also begin a new four-week sermon series next week titled, home or the home series. This is a series in that we answer the questions of what, why, how, and when as it pertains to whom we are as a local congregation. We can't wait to dive into the vision that God has ordained for us. And then finally, one more thing, on August 9th, it's a Wednesday, it begins our Wednesday activities again. This includes equipping groups, small groups, and our next-gen programming. So that's a lot of information that I want to make sure you know as we go into the fall and as school starts back. And if you want to know more about any of our weekly discipleship opportunities, you can find all the answers to your questions by going to broadmoor.org connect, or you can scan that QR code in the seat in front of you. Church, can we just take a moment to praise God for what he has done this summer? And ask him to guide us throughout the fall. Will you pray with me? God, we praise you. Give you all the glory and honor in what you are doing through this church. I pray that we never take for granted how you are moving and calling us to action. I pray that we never have the heart and attitude of, look what we did. God, but it is always a posture of, look what God did. Father, as we kick off the fall semester, I pray that you would guide us to love people well. And that we would share the gospel with our words and actions wherever you take us. God, it's for your glory that we ask these things. And we thank you for the things that you have done through us so far. Amen. Amen. All right, church, let's dive into our text this morning. Uh, So if you hadn't gotten there yet, 2 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to start off. Uh, Getting to preach through Psalm 46, this is uh, my favorite psalm. Uh, I actually got to um, pretty much walked into preaching this morning. So uh, a few months ago, I uh, walked into Neil Marsh's office 
And I said, hey, do we know who's preaching the last two weeks yet? And he's like, no, you offering? I said, no, I am not. Um, that is the week before Move Up Sunday, and there is a, a lot to do. And so he says, well, it's, it's Psalm 42 and Psalm 46. And I had to pause and go, Psalm 46? He said, Psalm 46. I said, huh. And I started to walk out. He said, whoa, whoa, stop right there. And he picks up his phone and puts it down a minute later. He says, all right, you're in. Okay, so he texts Josh, who was at the Southern Baptist Convention, and, and here we are. Here I am. Um, but this is my favorite psalm. It is so rich with comfort, reassurance, and praise. But in this, my studies this past week and getting ready to preach this, God revealed this psalm to me in a brand new way. It deepened my admiration for him. My understanding of the psalm and God's character was strengthened. My faith in him was reinforced, and I want to show you why this morning. So, if you will, 2 Kings 19, the backstory of this to Psalm 46 comes from this account. It actually starts in chapter 18, but we don't have enough time to read the entire account this morning, so if you'll allow me to set it up for you. There's a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah is king of the southern kingdom of the Israelite people, and that kingdom is called Judah. And in Judah resides the city, the holy city of Jerusalem. Now at this time, this was at the height of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were not satisfied with their current land grab. So they strategically conquered lands to the north of Israel, to the west along the Mediterranean, and then finally to the south. And it's there where they made their push south, uh, north, up into Judah and to the city of Jerusalem. The Assyrians essentially had the holy city surrounded. The king of the Assyrians, his name is Sennacherib, he has his messengers go up to the city walls and yell at its people that Hezekiah could not save them. In fact, he told them not to trust God, that, that God, their God, could not save them. And Sennacherib backed up his claim by naming all the other gods that they had destroyed in their conquest. However, these gods were man-made. Hezekiah told the people to say and do nothing. The text doesn't give us any indication that he prepared his army to defend the city. As you can imagine, the people may have started losing faith in their king. They may have even started to lose faith in their God. But instead of preparing for a battle, Hezekiah goes to the temple to pray. And it's his prayer that I want us to look at. 2 Kings chapter 19, look at verse 14 and following. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. This is a letter that came from Sennacherib. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the, before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. 
Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah knows that there is nothing he can do to ward off the Assyrian Empire. So he relies on the only one who can. Now look at verses 32 through 36 in that same chapter. This is God's response through the prophet Isaiah. He says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or, become, or, uh, excuse me, or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Now, the reason he says, for the sake of my servant David, uh, if you know about your Old Testament history, uh, David's long uh, passed away, right? So why, why save this for his servant David? We have to remember the prophecy that has been told through the prophet Isaiah that a Messiah would come through the lineage of King David. And so for God to protect the holy city of Jerusalem, he is protecting his prophecy He's making a way, even now, for Jesus to come. And here's what happens. Here's what God does. Verse 35, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. 185,000. After all hope seemed lost, God does what only God can do. He is the one that brought peace to his people. He is the one that brings salvation to his people. He is the one who comforts them during their trials. And so from the result of this failed Assyrian conquest comes Psalm 46. So church, if you go ahead and turn back over to Psalm 46 that Derek read for us earlier, I want us to walk through this together. Immediately you'll notice this is written to the choir master of the sons of Korah. According to the Alamoth, a song. And so when we see this, yes, it gives us an insight into who wrote this psalm. But it also gives us an insight to how this psalm is supposed to be said or sung. Right? So the sons of Korah, they were musical geniuses in the city of Jerusalem. And they had their own style of music. And so if somebody was to sing this song in the nation of Israel, they would know the, the tempo, the beat, and how it was supposed to be sung. 
And you see that according to Alamoth, right there, Alamoth was basically a, a female choir that should back up this psalm. So as we see that, we're not going to sing this psalm this morning, but we are going to read it. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Let's just stop right there. The very first line of the song is a testimony to the Lord's protection. He is our refuge, our safe place. When I was a freshman in high school, it was 2001, um, I lived right over here in Fairfield subdivision. It was Thanksgiving break, and my mom woke me up early one morning and said, hey, we need to go to our safe room. A storm's coming. This has happened many times before, and I was a freshman boy. I wanted to sleep, and so I just thought, come on, mom, just laid there. Then if memory serves me right, my dad came in, and I, I got up to that point and went to the safe room, our laundry room. While we were there, ground began to shake. After it got done shaking, my dad walked outside, talked to some neighbors. We realized that a tornado had come through our neighborhood. Our house had minimal damage, but part of our neighborhood caught the brunt of it. And some of you remember this. Some of you were there. So as we walked down to try to help, I realized that where houses once stood were just piles of rubble. So my dad and I, we started to try to help out wherever we could. Emergency personnel had arrived just before we had gotten there. And after being there for, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 minutes, not long, emergency personnel over their trucks, they, they start telling everybody, it's like, go find shelter, there's another storm coming. In that moment, my dad grabs my hand and says, come on, we've got to go. And we start walking really fast and running sometimes to make it to our physical refuge, which was our home. My dad was leading me there. It was going to be our refuge from the storm. But with God, he is our refuge from all of life's circumstances. In the valleys and in the mountaintops, God is our refuge. And because he is our refuge, he is also our strength. Because a refuge is as only good as it is strong. And the great thing is, is that for us that believe in Jesus Christ, our refuge is not somewhere we have to run to. It's always right there with us. Verses 2 through 3. It says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The imagery here would be the worst things that could happen around the landmass of Jerusalem. The literal would be earthquakes, landslides, rough waters and storms. The people have probably seen many perish from these catastrophes. The figurative we often feel in our lives. We often feel our lives resemble terrible catastrophes. 
It's as if the entire world is crashing in on us, whether it's a natural disaster, an unwanted result of an election, or a devastating diagnosis. Because we are human, we will be afraid. But there is a refuge to find hope. There is strength to make it through another day. And that is our God. He is strong enough to handle our fears. He is strong enough to handle our doubts. And he is strong enough to handle our tragedies. Verse 4 through 7. We now see the psalm's going to turn to more of a kind of calm in the midst of the troubles. It says, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So going back to verse 4, the the imagery of this is is God's blessing being a constant stream, right? This kind of goes against verse 3 with rough waters that roar and foam. Now there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It brings refreshment and joy to God's people. It is constant even in the turmoil around her. And we see it's where God is, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. For the Israelite people, the city of Jerusalem, it was literally where God dwelt inside the most holy place that was housed in the temple. Remember, in the temple, there was an inner room known as the most holy place or, or the holy of holies. And this is where God would appear to the Jewish high priest once a year. On the Day of Atonement, literally where God dwelt for the Israelite people. Now, for those of us, again, who have given our lives to Jesus today, because of the crucifixion, God is housed in us through the Holy Spirit. While the storms of trouble will come upon us, as we abide in God, we have comfort of knowing that the Lord of hosts is with us. When he speaks, I love this this part in verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. When he speaks, everything else fades away. We see that with Jesus in Mark 4, right? Jesus is on his boat, on this boat with the disciples. He's asleep. All of a sudden the storm comes. The disciples wake him up. It's like, do you even care that we're about to die? Jesus stands up, speaks, and the storm, the weather, obeys. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, verse 7 is the chorus of this song. You'll see it again in verse 11. But why the, why the term the God of Jacob? If you're like me, I read things, and I'm like, why, why do we use that? Because, you know, there's, there's God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of David, of Hezekiah. Of... So why the God of Jacob? 
Well, if you remember, if you go back to Genesis 35, and I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but you can go look at it later, God renames Jacob to be called Israel. And through Jacob's 12 sons are the namesake of the 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. So that's why the term, the God of Jacob, is used here for their namesake. Look at verses 8 through 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear, and he burns the chariots with fire. Now remember, the psalmist would be thinking about the events that we just read in 2 Kings. He says, look at what God has done. He has brought desolations to the earth. Now, the word desolation is interesting because it sounds bad and evil. However, for the rest of the world, known world at the time, hearing the events surrounding this psalm, it looks as if Judah just defeated the most powerful empire in the known world. But the Israelites know God did that. But desolations, it it can also be translated using a different word. The Hebrew word there is shamal. Thirteen other times in the biblical text, it is translated as astonishment. In fact, even more times, it's translated as astonishment than desolations. And so if we just substituted that word astonishment there, the psalm would read, how he has brought astonishment on the earth. And he absolutely did. He made the Assyrian conquest cease. Surely, after 185,000 soldiers perished, there would not be enough manpower to carry all their supplies back to Nineveh. So it is likely that they were burned in front of the city to keep the Israelites from gaining their weapons and transportation. So if you can imagine this, big piles of smoke rising above the walls of Jerusalem. The Israelites could literally see this is what God has done. And in verse 10, we get the most quoted phrase in this passage. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. Many of us, myself included, use this verse to steal ourselves from our worries and our troubles. That's absolutely not wrong. But from the stance of the Israelites, these lyrics are crafted after a physical rescue from annihilation and slash or enslavement. And you can see that the psalmist puts this phrase in quotes. He does that as if God is speaking to the nations, stop it. In fact, we can translate be still from the Hebrew again as stop it. Stop fighting. You are not God. I am God. 
I am the one who will be exalted among the nations. Not an empire, not an army, not a country, not any man or man-made thing. I will be exalted among the earth. This is what God say. It's what Hezekiah did. He didn't try to fight a battle that he knew he couldn't win. He didn't rely on his own power or knowledge. He knew where he stood. So he relied on the only one who could take care of it. Verse 11, like verse 7, is the chorus of this song. And so the psalm ends with the same truth as it began. God is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our strength. So as you hear this today, there's no doubt that some of you find yourself surrounded on all sides. Life has got you beat up, messed up, confused, heartbroken, apathetic, or even maybe just downright angry. Some of you in this room are dealing with some really heavy stuff in your lives. And you feel like Hezekiah, that the Assyrians have you surrounded, and there, there is no way out. When I think about Psalm 46 in my life, I go back, go back to January of 2018. My wife and I are expecting our second child. And we go in for a regular checkup. We do a sonogram. We wait in a room. Doctor comes in and tells us that there are some, what she would say, she said, abnormalities on our unborn daughter's brain. I know many of you have been in a similar situation before and you can relate that there's a flood of emotions that come over you at that point. And as I try to listen to these things that the doctor's saying, it could be this, or this, or this. I just start checking out. I start thinking, how can I fix this? What can I do? We end up having some kind of blood test done that would give us a percentage of the likelihood that when our child was born, that she might need a little special attention and extra love. If I can be completely honest, we were broken. It's one of the rare times in my life that I realized there was nothing I could do. And there was nothing that I could try to do to fix it. This was a time in my life when I felt surrounded by the Assyrian army. And because there was quite literally nothing I could do, I did the only thing I knew to do. Just give it to God. For the first time, probably in my life, I felt completely helpless. We had to stop and know that He is God and that we are not. That His plan is perfect 
that his will is unflawed. The result of our story is not applicable to the application that we're talking about today. I know there are families in this room where your story turned out differently than ours did. Many in ways where all you could and can do in this moment is rely on God's refuge and strength. I don't tell this story to mitigate your story in any way. I tell this story because it's our story. I tell this story to shed light on what it looks like to allow God to be our refuge and strength. And whether your Assyrian army is family difficulties, addiction, mental health, abuse, fill in the blank. This psalm is encouraging us to stop and give it to God. Listen to me, not because he takes the pain or the hurt or the frustration away. In fact, he doesn't promise that. He says, we will have trials, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And because of that, he covers these things up with his grace and love. Just like Hezekiah in the temple. I urge all of us in this room to stop To be still. Give it to God. So today, we're going to do something really different. We're going to have a moment. We are still. Two minutes of uninterrupted silence so that we can be still before God. Now, this is something that you may have never done before. That's that's okay. Right? You, 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 it may feel a little awkward. It may feel like a lifetime. You may have to tend to a child. You may even find yourself having a fleeting thought. It's okay. Let me encourage you. You can use this time to pray. You can use this time to praise. You can use this time to read. Or if I can really encourage you, you can also use this time to listen. We don't do silence anymore. There's always a person to talk to, music in the speakers, a TV to be turned on, a phone to be grabbed. The purpose of this moment is to be still and be reassured that God is your refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of need. That he always meets us where we are. So right now, I want to ask if everyone in the room would just close their eyes. And before the living God, I ask you to sit in silence and lay your cares and your worries and your addictions and your anxiety and whatever army seems to be surrounding you. I want you to ask that you lay those things at God's feet.